Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect Workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from a panel of expert speakers. We'll adopt time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Norman. I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's program, Managing the Side Effects of Immunotherapy. And today's program is really um, a part two of new trends in immunotherapy. And uh, this is a very important topic um, to address, and we have great speakers on our program today. Um, today's program is supported by Bristol-Myers Squibb, a grant from Genentech, and an independent educational grant from Merck and Company, Inc., and I really want to thank them for their support of the program today. Um, now, we have a lot of you on the call today. There are over 300 participants on the call today, and you come from all over the United States. Um, you come from both rural, urban, suburban, and frontier communities. However, we also happen to have a lot of international participants on the call today. And um, I'm just going to mention the countries, um, Canada, Dominican Republic, Egypt, Germany, Mexico, New Zealand, Norway, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Sweden, and Syria. So really a bit of a global call, actually, a lot of interest in this topic, clearly. This is an important topic. Uh, it affects people throughout the world. And um, I'm delighted to have you all on the call today and that you've chosen to spend this next hour with us. You are clearly a group of information seekers. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Michael Wong. Dr. Wong is Professor of Medicine, Cutaneous Cancers, Medical Oncology. He's Executive Director, Integration and Program Development, Cancer Network, the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. And Dr. Wong will be addressing an overview of immunotherapy and its side effects in the context of COVID-19 how the side effects of immunotherapy differ from chemotherapy side effects, a review of potential side effects like symptoms, fever, fatigue, and diarrhea, and tips to manage them. It's really now my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Wong. Thank you, Dr. Mesner. It is my pleasure and a great honor to be able to speak to you today about one of the uh, big changes and paradigm-shifting treatments known as immunotherapy. <clears throat> We're going to focus today really on the, the side effects of immunotherapy and speak really briefly on uh, the great promise of immunotherapy. Um, so what is immunotherapy? It, it, the immune system is something that we are born with. Uh, this is a system that comprises multiple organs in your body, including bone marrow, uh, uh, lymph nodes, lymphatic tissues, spleen, liver, thymus, and so on and so forth. So it is not one thing. It is a system. And the system was built into us. We're born with it. And it, the job of the system is to m differentiate between what is us and what is not us. So the things that don't belong to us, like viruses, like infections, like parasites, like bacteria, are fought off by the immune system. And likewise, it is a system that we have to deal with if we do things like solid organ transplants, kidney transplants, bone marrow transplants, because we are, uh, it is a system that's put in to fend off anything that's not ours. So immunotherapy takes advantage of using this system to fight cancer. 
we have discovered over the past decades that uh, one of the ways that cancer establishes itself in our body is that it, it sneaks in under the radar. And the way I describe it to some of my patients, it's like if you read Harry Potter, it's like Harry Potter's cloak of invisibility. It's there, but it cloaked itself. And how does it do that? It cloaks itself by using mechanisms which are built into our body to suppress inflammation. We have uh, uh, systems that are set up so that inflammation does not run rampant. For instance, when I hurt my knee playing sports, it was inflamed for about three weeks and stopped. My knee was still messed up, but why did the inflammation stop? Because the immune system said, well, get, that's enough. You've had enough inflammation. It's time to stop. And so there are mechanisms built in to do that, and cancer uses them to sneak under the radar. So what immunotherapy does is to, is to stimulate the immune system in such a way that it can recognize these things. And I'm not going to speak too much about uh, the, the, uh, the, the great benefits of immunotherapy, but it is now becoming the forefront therapy, the first, time, uh, the first thing to think about in a multitude of, of cancers, including skin cancers such as melanoma, uh, squamous cell carcinoma, Merkel cell carcinoma, t some certain types of lung cancer, uh, conventional Hodgkin's lymphoma, kidney cancer, bladder cancer, and so on and so forth. Every month it seems that there's another immunotherapy coming forth. And so we're not going to speak in detail about that because it's, these are specific programs and specific cancers, but you should know that this is an a emerging area in which uh, multiple cancers now are, uh, are, are treated with immune therapy. Now, how do you do this? In simple terms, you can stimulate the immune system by doing two things. You can either press on the gas, right, to make it go forward, and using the analogy of driving a car, or take your foot off the brake. Pressing on the gas involves using medicines <clears throat> that directly stimulate the immune system. And these are medicines sometimes known as cytokines. These are uh, proteins and molecules uh, oftentimes mimicking the ones, same ones that we have in our bodies whose job are to, are to stimulate the immune system. An example of a, a very well-known cytokine that's been around for decades is interleukin-2. Uh, or IL-2, which mimics something we have in our body already. It's give, uh, it is a medicine uh, you give directly to patients and stimulates the immune system. Perhaps the most promising thing that's, that's happened over the past decade, in fact, it was honored last year by, uh, uh, by the awarding of the Nobel Prize for the uh, scientists who discovered these systems, I'll call, I'll call checkpoint inhibitors. What are these things? Checkpoints are things built into our body which are naturally placed there by nature to stop the immune system, to check the immune system from going forward. They are naturally built inhibitors uh, of the immune system. So by, by, and they are, uh, to use the car analogy, the foot on the brake. And so by using medicines that can take the foot off the brake, by inhibiting the checkpoints, we can take the foot off the brake and allow the immune system to ramp forward. So these are called checkpoint inhibitors. Uh, the most well-known ones are things like uh, nivolumab, known as Optivo, um, uh, 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 pembrolizumab, known as Keytruda, for example. There are many more other ones, but these are some of the first few that come out and, uh, and are well-known. So, uh, and so in general terms, those are how we simulate the immune system. And right now, today, uh, the they're almost all given intravenously. We're working on it, but there's no oral form of these as of yet. Now, uh, you know, how these things affect our body is by stimulating the immune system. And this is the point where, you know, we might say a few words about uh, COVID-19, and I can 
make this a very simple statement. We just don't know enough. Um, some people say that, uh, I'll, I'll give you the debate, some people say that uh, having a, a strong immune system and stimulating it will help fight off the viral infection. That sounds pretty obvious. Other uh, scientists and medicine doctors point to the fact that uh, some of the sickest patients seem to have an immune system that's overly exuberant and rampant and causing damage and trying to fight the cancer. So. Um, for all the listeners out there, the real, the real reason, the real answer to the, to the question is we don't know at this point in time. I can tell you that we're looking at this significantly. There are at least three large registry studies going on right now in which uh, uh, oncologists are accessioning these cases onto a global database. We're going to find out very soon, um, but we don't know right now. So stay tuned. Um, so what about immune therapy and, and the differences between that and, say, chemotherapy? I correct my patients when sometimes they say, oh, I'm getting chemotherapy. I say, no, you're not. You're getting immune therapy. And why do I uh, fuss about that? Because you don't want to go to another physician and, and, and tell them you're getting chemo while you're really getting immune therapy because they are different. Chemotherapy, conventional chemotherapy, works by killing off cells that are growing. And cancer is a situation where tumors are growing, 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 and they don't have a stop switch, which makes them cancerous. And uh, by using medicines, you are affecting cells that grow. And because cancer cells are, have their, uh, the switch firmly on the grow position, grow, 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 they don't actually <coughs> um, uh, uh, respond well when you stop the growth from happening. They don't have an off switch, and then they die. And what you're, uh, what, and you, if you're thinking through this as I'm speaking with you, you can see already that the major side effects of chemotherapy are inhibiting things that grow, like your hair, for instance, and your bone marrow cells. So that's why people who get chemo uh, have this bald appearance because their hair uh, uh, is one of the fastest growing organs in your body and they lose the hair. Um, and, and that's a sort of classic uh, thing that we know about cytotoxic chemo. So immunotherapy doesn't do that. Uh, because it is uh, uh, intrinsically impacting the immune system, one of the things I tell my patients is that unlike chemotherapy, which attacks growing cells directly, immunotherapy does nothing to the cancer cell, zero, nada. But what it does do, it goes into your body and induces your immune system to fight the cancer, and that is the promise of immune therapy. By getting your body to fight the cancer, at some point in time, your body's immune system will then begin to ramp by itself and in, an, in a manner very similar to vaccination where you immunize someone against a pathogen. Um, here you almost can do the same thing by making your immune system recognize the cancer as being foreign. You immunize that patient against the cancer. And at the end of the day, you can be cured from the cancer. And that is the promise of immunotherapy which has really propelled it to the forefront. Now, the side effects of immunotherapy have to do exactly with how it works. It induces your immune system to ramp up, and therefore uh, it can ramp up to fight the cancer, and it can ramp up, unfortunately, to, to fight yourself, to fight the natural tissues. There is a reason why we are born with these, these, uh, these breaks in place. There's a reason why we're born with natural inhibitors to the immune system, and the reason for that is because you want to stop your, your body's immune system from being too aggressive, too, too, uh, over, uh, to be over-exuberant and fighting not just things that don't belong to you, but fighting yourself. There are diseases that, that exist this way. They're called autoimmune diseases uh, in which uh, uh, people are 
are born whose immune system uh, don't have this fine regulation. Their checkpoints are off. And so they can have autoimmunity against themselves, and that is exactly the type of side effects you can get with immune therapy. And so your body's immune system now takes aim at your own tissues. Uh, and to make things very simple, I tell my patients, any tissue from head to toe can be affected. But there are some that are particularly important. You can have uh, autoimmunity or inflammation of the skin. And I'm on a program with uh, Dr. Mario Lecriture, who will speak after me. Uh, he is a world-famous dermatology person and, and treats these conditions. I'll leave uh, the, the discussion of this to, to his part. The second thing that's important, it can influence uh, uh, inflammation of the GI tract, known as colitis, and that manifests as diarrhea, diarrhea, diarrhea. And uh, I'm on a program with uh, Ms. Diana Bearden, who will say a few words about how to manage this. The diarrhea is important because it is one of the things that we didn't quite understand how to treat uh, decades ago when immunotherapy first came out and could result in severe problems to the patient and potentially life-threatening. So it's one of those things that is very important. And believe it or not, we have a big discussion about poop when our patients come into my practice. Oh, if my mother only knew what I did in my practice. You know, we talk about poop, we talk about its consistency, and so on and so forth. And that leads to the next thing, which is tips to managing this. It requires attention to detail because the, the side effects can be flu-like symptoms, fevers, fatigue, which are very nonspecific. And, and, you know, if you look at this stuff, you say, oh, my God, some of this can mimic even what we hear about with COVID. Unfortunately, true. But there are specific features of it that we bring in that will help us differentiate. And, and so what I'm, uh, the most important part is to pay attention. For instance, if you, think, if you say to your doctor, I have fever, and you call into my practice, my nurse will say, well, how high is the fever, i.e., do you have a thermometer, right? It's important because these numbers begin to make a difference. You say you have diarrhea, you know, uh, I'm going to say something bad, which is please look because we're going to ask you about stool, stool consistency. I hope nobody is eating lunch or dinner while listening to this, but it's one of those things we talk about, very important. We actually even have pictures of types of diarrhea that we show to patients. Says, which one is your poop? And then why? Because we, we use those to help us determine uh, treatment. And likewise, number of uh, bowel movements and so on and so forth. I'm, if I sound like I'm going in detail about poop, it's because it's one of those conditions that, if left unchecked, can be very problematic. But again, many things can be uh, a consequence of autoimmunity, and, and, and so what's very, very important is good communication. So I tell my patients before I will administer immunotherapy, other than a lab test that we look at to, to, to make sure things are uh, you know, online, we, I want to look you in the eye and, 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 and make sure we have a discussion about what's going on. So communication is very important. Write things down. And uh, I always say no one has ever died from embarrassment. You always just, just, just make sure you have that good communication with your healthcare team because these symptoms are very subtle. How do we treat these things? These can be supportive therapy, and, and uh, Ms. Bearden will talk about some of these measures for diarrhea, for example, and uh, Dr. Lecature for skin in his section. Uh, but in, we have supportive care measures all the way to medicines that can turn down the immune system. You're going to say at home, wait a minute, you just say immunotherapy turns on the immune system. That is correct. We have medicines that can counteract this. Think of it like a tuning a thermostat, oh, too hot, too cold, you're tuning in your immune system. 
we try to avoid having to use these medicines, but if have to, we do have medicines that serve almost as antidotes to this. So let me end this program by saying this. Immunotherapy has completely changed the face of how we treat cancers. It is becoming the frontline therapy in a multitude of cancers. It has a promise of uh, curing people from cancer. That's why it's so important. The side effects uh, 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 can show up in very, very subtle ways. Communication is the key to, to, uh, to um, uh, communicating with you. It's the key, and good communication with your healthcare team is the way to sort of really sort these things out. At that, I'm going to end and pass the program back to Dr. Mesner. Thank you very much for listening to me. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Wong. Well, first of all, it's a pleasure to listen to you. And secondly, what you really communicate to everybody is that you really want to tell your healthcare team, your physician, your doctor, really what anything that you notice that's different. And, and he's identified some of the things that may be different, and it's important to be sure to not mince words and to really be upfront. It's really important. A lot of people think they can't say those things. On this call, you heard it's good to say those things. It's good for your doctor to know exactly what your symptoms are. So I know we'll have time for the Q&A for this, but this is excellent. Thank you. And I know there'll be questions for you. Phenomenal presentation, Dr. Wong. Thank you. And our next presenter is Dr. Mario Lacatur. Dr. Lacatur is world-renowned. He's Director, Oncodermatology Program, Member Attending Physician, Dermatology Service, Department of Medicine, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, Professor of Dermatology, Wild Cornell Medicine. Dr. Lacatur is going to be addressing managing inflamed skin, skin irritations, rash and dry skin, skin care and some safety tips, guidelines for follow-up care and quality of life concerns, Practical recommendations for communicating with the healthcare team during your telehealth appointments. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Lacatur. Thank you very much, Dr. Messner, for the introduction and for uh, facilitating our um, introduction into the community as to how to best manage side effects that occur with these revolutionary treatments that Dr. Wong has so clearly defined. It is really remarkable to see so many people benefiting from these therapies every day and seeing their courage and their, um, their valor in uh, receiving these treatments uh, is also uh, part of what allows uh, many people to uh, deal with many of the side effects that can occur. And one of the most common side effects that occurs in people receiving immunotherapies are those that affect the skin. And side effects affecting the skin are notable for several reasons. They tend to be the first to appear within about three weeks of starting treatment. However, they can appear at any time during their treatment. I've seen people that are receiving immunotherapies for two to three years, and only then is when they uh, develop their uh, conditions. In addition to that, skin uh, side effects are the most common to occur with immunotherapies. About 30 to 40% of people receiving these treatments will have some type of inflammation or skin condition that we will be describing in detail. So why is this important? Because if these conditions progress to the degree where they impact a person's quality of life or they, they cover more than a third of the skin in their bodies, oncologists will usually hold the administration of immunotherapies until these conditions have been managed and have been uh, reduced in severity. 
Why is that important? Because we have to remember that the skin is the largest organ in our bodies, and it acts as a barrier protecting us day in and day out from uh, uh, from things in the environment, such as ultraviolet radiation coming from the sun, from bacteria and viruses that can uh, uh, go inside our bodies. The skin is an immunologic organ. As Dr. Wong clearly explained, the immune system will allow us to live our lives and uh, protect us against these infections that can occur. So when someone's immune system is activated, then uh, the immune system in, uh, can also attack other normal organs in the body, in this case, the skin. So how does this manifest in people? What do people really say happens when they receive immune therapies and they have a skin side effect? Well, the, one of the most common symptoms that people can report is itching. And most people have not really experienced severe or intense itch. But the itch can become uh, problematic because it can affect a person's ability to sleep. It can affect large parts of the body which they cannot scratch. Or if they do scratch it, the, the scratch marks can open the skin, predisposing people to having infections in those areas. So itching, blisters in the skin can also appear that can be very itchy. People can also have rashes. These rashes may look like measles, but they are not measles. The rashes can also be can also look like other conditions that are very common in the general population, such as eczema or psoriasis, which are diseases that are very itchy and are characterized by these uh, by these uh, uh, flat uh, red uh, plaques that appear in uh, various parts of the body, most notably the arms and the legs. These conditions are. Uh, more common to occur in people that have a history of skin conditions. So if you have a skin condition like this, like eczema or psoriasis, these are likely to become exacerbated with the use of immunotherapies because the immune system is more active. However, uh, this should not prevent you from receiving immunotherapies because we have amazing tools to treat many of these inflammatory conditions. As Dr. Wong indicated, many of the tools that can be used to mitigate side effects from immunotherapies, including the rash, including diarrhea, including inflammation that may occur in any organ in the body, are drugs that suppress the immune system. And the drugs that suppress the immune system are not limited to the corticosteroids that we know that have been around for 30 years, which although they are associated with their own set of side effects, are really amazing drugs and can be life-saving drugs. But now we have this whole set of medications that block very specific uh, uh, pathways or proteins or very specific parts of the immune system so that the immunotherapy's effect can continue against the cancer and the side effect can be minimized. It is important to consult with your oncologist. If you have any uh, skin rash or inflammation that occurs during you, your immunotherapy treatment, uh, a good rule of thumb is to take photos and then show those photos to your oncologist. In this time where it is so difficult uh, to go directly to your oncologist's office because of the current uh, situation with the coronavirus, uh, do not wait for your next appointment 
to inform your oncologist about any skin reaction that may be occurring. I would take a, recommend to take a set of photos in a, under a well-lit uh, uh, part of your home or on a window, uh, close to a window, and send those photos to your oncologist um, and report any associated symptoms such as itching or pain that may be associated, and approximately what percent of the skin on your body is affected by it. This will be critical for your oncologist to determine treatment and to determine if you need to see a dermatologist. Now, what can you do to prevent any of these conditions from appearing? Well, um, we do not have any uh, magic uh, medications that can prevent most of these conditions, but certainly minimizing anything that would inflame your skin, such as going outside un uh, under the sun between the hours of 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. without any protection, such as a broad-brimmed hat and sun protective clothing or a sunscreen with a sun protection factor of at least 15 applied every two hours or every hour if swimming or sweating would not be advisable. So if you go outside, make sure you protect yourself against the sun. In addition, uh, it is important to also use fragrance-free and gentle uh, detergents for your clothes as well as soaps for the shower. The less you uh, disrupt the barrier of the skin, the less you dry the skin by adding uh, um, fragrances or perfumes, uh, the less likely it will be that you develop uh, any uh, additional reactions that may um, exacerbate a side effect from immunotherapy. But it is not your fault in the majority of cases. It is no one's fault that they develop a side effect. It is just the robust, the strong activation of your own immune system that will lead uh, to uh, most of these and perhaps the only silver lining about this uh, and something that really motivates people is the fact that when people do develop side effects, especially those that affect the skin, it turns out that they have a better response to the immunotherapy. You may wonder why that is. Well, it probably represents that your immune system has been activated by the wonderful things that oncologists do, that the immune system is now very active against those uh, cells that the oncologist wants to attack, but it also is active against normal cells like those of your skin. So knowing that and knowing that the majority of these uh, side effects can be managed very effectively by your, your oncologist or a specialist which has particular knowledge on the side effects of immunotherapy may allow you to mitigate these side effects so that you can continue your immunotherapy and derive the benefit, especially because if you have had a side effect, it, may, uh, it usually means that the drug is being very active in your body. And finally, it's important to remember that a study that was conducted a few years ago showed that when uh, patients reported their symptoms or their side effects on a real-time basis, in other words, before their appointments, by calling their oncologist the day they uh, experienced any side effects, they were able to stay on the medications for a much longer time and reduce the need for them to go to the emergency room or urgent care centers because of a side effect. So keep that in mind. It's, if you see something, as they say, say something to your oncologist. 
and this will ensure that you derive the maximum benefit from therapy and also that the quality of life is maintained and these side effects do not affect uh, your activities that you do on a daily basis. So uh, with those uh, observations, I would like to conclude by saying that we should all remember that the wonderful discovery by oncologists and scientists from all over the world, as Dr. Wong explained, that ha have led to, to these remarkable therapies in the past uh, uh, few years are really changing the way uh, we are all practicing medicine because we are seeing that most of these side effects can appear at any time during the treatment, but there are very effective tools to mitigate them. And if the side effects have not improved after two weeks or four weeks of treatment, uh, seek additional help. And, uh, it is important to be your own advocate and always ask for a solution to any of the side effects because in most cases, there is a solution. Thank you very much for your time today. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Lacatour. That was really outstanding, really phenomenal as well, and um, a wonderful presentation. And I think that um, the concept, if you see something, say something, is so important for people to realize in working with their healthcare team. Um, and I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well, so thank you. Thank you so much. And our next speaker is Ms. Diana Burden. Ms. Burden is an oncology dietitian from Michael E. DeBake VA Medical Center, and she's going to be discussing nutrition and hydration concerns and tips to cope with diarrhea. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Bearden. Thank you so much, Carolyn. I'm excited to be part of today's presentation. Um, just to start with, you know, remember nutrition and hydration are essential. And um, oftentimes hydration gets forgotten. Um, we're telling folks, you know, be sure to eat, eat, eat. And we also need to remember to drink. And so we've heard throughout this presentation today many of the different side effects that um, potentially can happen um, while receiving immunotherapy. Now, every person's different. Every person's path and, and journey is different through treatment. But um, one thing we know is that there will potentially be some side effects, and the severity is just dependent on how you respond to the treatment. So being part, um, an active part of your care and talking with your healthcare team, like we've heard from many folks this morning or this afternoon, um, is so important. Um, so a dietitian, what's the dietitian's role in your, in your care? Well, a dietitian can help with... Um, assisting with diet modifications. Um, we've talked about diarrhea, and diarrhea is one of the things that um, we see a lot um, during patients um, undergoing immunotherapy. Not all diarrhea is created equal. I remind patients this often. Um, when you're going through immunotherapy, the diet that we're going to discuss will look different than what ideally you would feel it would be a great diet to be on as far as reducing cancer risk, et cetera. Um, the reason why is because when you're experiencing diarrhea with immunotherapy, we need to play with the different types of fiber that you're eating. And so an easy way to kind of know um, how to handle this is there's two types of fiber. There's a soluble fiber Soluble dissolves in water. It's sort of like if you have a piece of white bread and you put it in water, um, it'll just end up dissolving. It won't be clumpy or anything like that. If you get a little, little wet, you can kind of make it into a dough ball. Okay. The other type of fiber is 
an insoluble fiber. It's a fiber that's crunchy and crispy, sort of like if you make a pot roast or something and you put um, celery and carrots in there. You know, they can cook for 12 hours and you look at it and you see the carrots and the celery later and they still look like carrots and celery. They really haven't changed much. And that's because the fiber that is very present in those foods is a very tough and crunchy fiber. It's, it's a real strong fiber. Now, when you're having diarrhea, with immunotherapy, we need to be gentle with the digestive tract. And so how that translates is reducing, if not pretty much almost eliminating, the insoluble fiber, so the crunchy fiber like the carrots and the, and the celery, that real crunchy fiber, and going a little bit more heavy on the soluble fiber. So the example I talked about with the white bread, for example, if you put a little bit of water with it, it can start to soak up that water and act like a sponge. It turns into a good dough ball. If you put too much water with it, it can just dissolve. It's not going to do anything but just dissolve. And so helping with the diarrhea, we want to go more towards the soluble fiber, increasing that so we can help absorb the additional fluid that is in your GI system and try and make it as much as we can in closer to a dough ball, okay? So you don't lose a lot of water um, with going frequently. The dough ball will basically slowly go through your digestive system, allowing your body to reabsorb fluid and um, electrolytes and nutrients. So it's just using itself to be almost like a sponge. And then you're reabsorbing those beneficial and important components. And then as it you eliminate it, it might be a consistency sometimes like um, a, a pudding consistency or a really soft toothpaste um, consistency. And I tell patients that's okay. The more soluble fiber you bring in, the more we can thicken that stool up. Um, some patients find it helpful to use something like a Metamucil, and it would be an additional component into your diet, and um, that can also help. So talk with your healthcare team about things called medicinal fibers if that's something that you're really struggling with um, as far as your diet goes and getting that um, stool at a, a good consistency. But I want to give you some examples of foods that are high in soluble fiber, so the type of fiber that we want to have when you're experiencing diarrhea with immunotherapy. So examples are white rice, plain white bread or toast, white crackers, an instant oatmeal, not a still-cut oatmeal, but an instant oatmeal, applesauce, bananas, um, potatoes without the skin, and, um, you know, plain pasta. Those are great sources of foods that are high in soluble fiber. Um, protein is also very important. Now, protein doesn't have fiber in it, but we need protein in order to meet our nutrition goals. So each time you eat, try to bring in a protein such as maybe eggs, um, milk if you're not lactose intolerant. If you are lactose intolerant, get the lactose-free milk. Yogurts, cheese, and eat them with a food that is a good source, high in soluble fiber. 
that we just talked about, the white rice, plain white bread or toast, crackers, oatmeal, grits. Those are great resources um, that patients can kind of keep with them and take throughout the day. Small frequent meals will also help. Um, small amounts going in um, throughout the day will not stimulate your GI tract as much as a large meal will. So breaking these up, I tell patients, hey, you know, just set some snacks aside in the fridge, have your saltine crackers with some cheese a couple of hours later. Maybe you'll have um, some yogurt and maybe you'll have some crackers with that. You could even do a fold over peanut butter sandwich um, on white bread. And medications can also come into play. Your doctor might be prescribing you some medications to help with the side effects. Um, I recommend with patients to take the medications as directed. If you can get your system on a good routine, that's how you can control um, or avoid unexpected events from happening, maybe when you're away from home, and which can be very inconvenient. Um, and so getting your system on a good schedule, taking your medication as prescribed to help with the diarrhea, and then consuming those foods that will assist with slowing down food going through your system and reducing the incidence of diarrhea. Um, I know that there's a lot of information about cancer and diet, and it's talking about fresh fruits and vegetables and, and kind of a whole grain approach. And after your side effects have passed and things are better controlled, we can work towards that again, slowly incorporating foods back into your diet. We want to take it really carefully and slowly so that you can appreciate how you're going to respond to that food and how much you can eat without being uncomfortable. So this is a moment in time in your care and do not... Um, feel overwhelmed or anxious about bringing in some of the foods that we know don't necessarily match that image that we see so often when it comes with cancer and nutrition, but rather managing where you are in your care to help you get through this this time. Fluid is very important, and I hope I'm not running over my time too much, but in conjunction with controlling your stool, by modifying the foods that you're eating, you also want to make sure that you're staying hydrated. Now, a general rule of thumb is your average individual, average adult, needs between 8 and 10 8-ounce glasses of fluid a day. When you're struggling with diarrhea going while going through immunotherapy, um, you also may need to be mindful of your electrolytes. And water is a good hydrant. But something like Pedialyte is very good to keep on hand. If you're having diarrhea, that will help replenish some of the electrolytes you're losing through your GI system. Gatorade is wonderful for sweating, but it's not quite the same composition as we lose out of our GI system. So you can pick Pedialyte, Pedialyte up at the grocery store and um, keep that on hand and with you. Um, I hope this has been helpful, and I hope I haven't gone over too much of my time. But um, in closing, I just want to let you know there are many people on your team. Please communicate with them. Please access them. And please let them know when things come up as soon as possible. Um, with that, I'm going to hand the line back over to Carolyn. 
Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Bearden. You were superb, just really phenomenal as well. And I want to thank you. And I know there'll be, t- there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, as always, and uh, just very important information. Thank you. And, and also just important information for people to know in general. It's really so helpful. Thank you. And we are going to be taking questions shortly. But before we take questions, I do want to say a few words about cancer care. So I'm Carolyn Messner, and I'm Oncology Social Worker and Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. And I want to go over uh, Cancer Care's free uh, uh, services and programs that we do offer. And those programs um, include a number of different areas. We do offer both practical and financial assistance, and financial assistance to um, people who are coping with cancer and people who are coping with COVID-19 as well and cancer. And uh, we also offer a help with a variety of things in terms of financial assistance, so you definitely want to um, take advantage of those services. In addition, our oncology social workers will answer our hotline, which is 1-800-813-4673. Um, they're available to um, address other concerns you may have. Some of you may want to talk with one of our social workers about your concerns about coping with cancer at this time, um, also just your concerns in general, wanting to get some help with uh, working while um, while while being treated for cancer, or how do you talk with your children about your cancer? So there are many different issues that our oncology social workers are quite skilled at talking with you about. And um, you also can access our social workers by our going to our website um, at www.cancercare.org. Now, in addition to that, I, I do want to say uh, a few words about the our telephone and online support groups. Now, they've been around for a very long time, and what we're finding now is that many people are finding them particularly useful in having to cope with social distancing, and certainly the concept of um, of staying home and, and not being able to go out as much um, uh, as a result of COVID-19 has left people really feeling somewhat um, just not being able to gather with their uh, friends or community or um, religious organizations has been really a challenge for many people, obviously, for most people, actually. It's no- normal, actually. And to some extent, many people find that a telephone or online support group, um, in those groups, there is that um, there is no concern about, there is social distancing in the sense that you're talking to someone on the phone or online, uh, online uh, communication. And that actually is a terrific way of, of staying in touch, getting support, and uh, not really increasing your risk of exposure. So those are things that people are finding helpful, even just talking to someone on the telephone, um, one of our staff. So with that being said, I just want you to take advantage of these services, and uh, and, uh, we, and Cancer Care is not the only cancer organization that offers all of these different programs and services. So there's quite a... Um, quite a lot of different organizations that offer many different services. And uh, so what we will do is if you call us, if we don't have it, we'll recommend someone else. How's that? And we also do have a Copay Foundation as well to help with some of the costs of your care. Now, with that being said, we now have time for questions. We actually have a lot of time for questions, and I'm going to ask Norma to explain to you how to queue up for questions. We're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible, and um, so, Norma, I'm going to ask you to bring all of our speakers on board and if you could explain how to queue up for questions. Thank you, Dr. Mester. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. 
If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Our first question comes from Teresa M. Your line is open. Thank you so much. Um, I am a patient who uh, remains very stable following immunotherapy. Uh, I was, um, I've achieved stability and no evidence of disease, and uh, my side effects are few, but my, my question is, uh, should I remain on um, immunotherapy after achieving no evidence of disease and after exceeding what the standard of care guidelines are for the immunotherapy that I have taken. Uh, my concern is that potentially I might develop side effects that would prohibit me from taking um, this very effective therapy, and I don't want it taken off the shelf from me, but at the same time I don't want to... Um, uh, Take, I just don't know what the balance is, if that makes sense. Please. Oh, excellent. Yes, and it's an excellent question. It's really a superb question. I'm going to ask um, Dr. Wong if he would address that question in a general way, and, of course, we'll have you take that information back to your health healthcare team. But, um, Dr. Wong, if you could address this, some guidelines for Teresa, that would be terrific. Teresa, I congratulate you in, uh, in achieving stable disease, and I know cancer is difficult and the treatments are sometimes difficult as well. So your situation is not uncommon. Uh, the, one of the things that we see with, uh, <clears throat> with patients is that we can actually get pa patients to exactly where you are right now. The entire promise of immunotherapy is that we can get folks to what we call an unmaintained long-term response. In English, that means cure, right, where you have disease under total control or disappeared from your body, and, uh, and what I say to patients, completely and forever. So that's the forever part is the hard part, because immunotherapy, if you think about it, has not, in this current rendition, has not been around for that long, perhaps a decade at most, if you include all the clinical trials that are done. There are data going back to the cytokine era, which, you know, with the first drugs being approved in the, in the early 1990s, uh, showing that stability of disease uh, can oftentimes result in cures. So congratulations to you. Now, every tumor type <clears throat> is developing its information in this area. Uh, perhaps it's most mature in melanoma. Why? Because it was one of the first cancers using immunotherapy. And so there are databases being built out, there are papers being published, there are guidelines being formed around each individual type of cancer. And this is a question to bring back to, to your own oncologist. And the question, is an, uh, the question should be, knowing what we know about my particular type of cancer and the state where, where it is, what is the data on, uh, on coming off therapy? How long do I have to stay on after uh, uh, stability on scans or stability or disappearance off the, off, uh, or complete response, as we call it. Um, what do we know about those situations? In every single type of cancers where immunotherapy is being used or has been used for a period of time, that information is coming through. So, um, so I'm going to end by saying the, the goal is to get a patient to a situation where the cancer is either controlled or gone away and to have these people be off therapy. Um, uh, the whole idea is to cure people and return them to a high-quality life. And so um, uh, my, I would encourage you to approach your, your 
personal oncologist and to really try to understand what is known. I can tell you that uh, this is an area of a lot of anxiety oftentimes because the information is being developed as we speak. Many of these databases require uh, following patients over time. So as immunotherapy matures into each individual type of cancer, we, we get stronger and stronger and more robust information. So just be aware that, uh, that the answers may be coming forth, but in every single type of cancer, we have some idea of, uh, of what to do uh, in situations like yours. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. And it's a great question. I think it's probably on many people's minds, so it's great that we addressed it right up front, and thank you. And another question for you, Dr. Wan. Um, so this is, uh, um, how common are thyroid swings from hy hyperthyroidism to hypothyroidism? So, so thyroid changes are uh, one of the more common side effects. So I did say from, from stem to stern, from, uh, from head to toe. Uh, any tissue, uh, but glandular uh, inflammation, also known as endocrinopathies, is one of the more common ones. Thyroid being uh, the more common of the more common ones. Um, if you can look at, under a microscope at the thyroid gland, um, the normal thyroid gland contains pockets of thyroid hormone. It's the, that's the natural way it is. It's, thyroid hormone is made in the thyroid gland and actually stored in the thyroid gland. And when you get inflammation of the thyroid, sometimes these uh, storage areas can also uh, be affected, and then what happens, you get release of thyroid hormone unnaturally. And so because of that, you get hyperthyroidism. And as the inflammation progresses over time, <clears throat> the thyroid gland may involute and become less efficient, Then patients become hypothyroid. So we call that in my clinic when I teach young doctors, I say that's the roller coaster effect that you have to watch. So at any one time when we see a patient with any abnormality of the thyroid gland, we try to understand where you are, where that person is on that roller coaster. Some have more inflammation than others. And the reason for that is because uh, uh, the side effects from immune therapy are individualized to that person. How you are as an immune uh, instrument uh, is a function of that particular person. So we don't, it's hard to extrapolate you know, uh, uh, things from one person to another. But within that person, you look for what's happening in their thyroid. I sometimes joke that I, I long for the days of chemotherapy, you know, because at least I knew what was happening. Uh, but here, because we're so individualized, uh, oftentimes the, the, the way forward is to, is to follow over time and to manage things um, as you understand the trend of, these, uh, of, of each individual side effect. Excellent. Thank you. And um, a question uh, for actually goes to Dr. Wong and for, um, and for Dr. Lacatour. Are there certain patients or certain types of cancer that cannot have immunotherapy? <clears throat> Let me try that one first. And uh, there are situations in which uh, patients um, uh, have situations where they have already have autoimmunity. Uh, one of the ones we talked about, uh, diarrhea and colitis being an example. And uh, you can have uh, situations in which you have um, Crohn's disease or, or inflammatory bowel disease. These are entities known to be uh, caused by autoimmunity, and people sometimes develop these things uh, naturally without any prompting. And in those individuals, we are extremely careful uh, with, uh, with using immunotherapy. Um, and, and I'll leave uh, leave it at that. I mean, Dr. LeCouture has some things I'm sure he can say about about this topic. Dr. LeCouture, would you like to add to that as well? 
Yes, thank you very much for that uh, very important question because it does come up very frequently and it is one of the reasons why uh, many people uh, are not able to participate in uh, some of the clinical trials. So what is, what is the concern? What conditions may prevent you from receiving immunotherapies? Well, they are usually uh, conditions that are known as autoimmune diseases in which uh, your own immune system uh, becomes uh, dysregulated and attacks normal parts of your body. Uh, these diseases are varied. Uh, the, usually the people that treat many of these diseases are known as rheumatologists because some of the most common diseases are diseases uh, that affect uh, the joints as well as other uh, parts of the body, like the soft tissues in the body. So uh, autoimmune diseases uh, such as uh, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, um, other what they are called connective tissue diseases, as well as endocrinopathies, as uh, Dr. Wong mentioned before, uh, are not strict contraindications to receiving immunotherapies. It will depend on the severity of the disease. It will depend on whether that disease could be life-threatening. For example, there are many autoimmune diseases, like the one that was asked about previously, the thyroid disease. If there is an autoimmune thyroid disease, uh, usually it's a disease that can be uh, managed very well by supplementing the thyroid hormone. So adding or receiving an immunotherapy and causing further damage to the thyroid would not be a life-threatening condition because the thyroid uh, hormone can be supplemented very effectively. So other conditions, on the other hand, for example, if someone has uh, inflammatory bowel diseases, such as Crohn's disease, for example, uh, that requires um, immunosuppressive therapies. People that have those conditions, if they receive immunotherapies, there is a chance that those conditions may become worse. And uh, as uh, most of you may know, if those conditions uh, become very severe, they can lead to uh, problems in the intestines that in some cases may require additional uh, immunosuppressive medications or even surgery. That said, uh, immunotherapies are such an important uh, tool in the oncologist's armamentarium, and they have led to such important results in, the, in, the, in most uh, types of cancers that uh, the approach we are taking, and there is a large study that is now ongoing by the National Cancer Institute in which uh, people are, are participating in a study in which they are receiving immunotherapies if they have autoimmune diseases to see uh, how how much worse these diseases can get and how they can be managed. But the thought, um, as I was describing, is that if your oncologist uh, think uh, or consider that immunotherapy would be an ideal medication for you, there are very good tools to manage autoimmune diseases. So we usually work very close with oncologists, and if someone has an autoimmune disease, we, uh, we, we, we see that uh, person before they start the immunotherapy. We make sure that the autoimmune uh, condition is very well controlled, and then the person starts the immunotherapy, and hopefully uh, um, we would have no problem, but if the condition worsens, we already know what we can do to mitigate it. 
we have taken this approach, and uh, uh, thankfully, um, thanks to the uh, courage of many of those that are receiving immunotherapies, they have received uh, the treatment, and we have been able to manage the condition so that they can receive the benefit from their immunotherapy. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is amazing. Uh, wonderful questions and great responses from our speakers. And um, this is our last question from Ms. Bearden. Would juicing veggies be helpful when experiencing diarrhea, especially if eaten with soluble fibers? Okay, that's a great question. And um, some veggies can be brought into the diet during this time. Um, the challenge is that with the insoluble fiber, so the crunchy fiber that I described with like the carrots and the celery, it can be irritating to the intestinal lining and it can also um, cause more movement with the bowel function. So what we want to achieve is slowing down of the GI system while absorbing the fluid so that you can reabsorb the electrolytes and um, the water in the GI system. If you want to bring in some veggies, um, there are several. So very tenderly cooked fruits, uh, fruits and vegetables. Um, when we talk about fruits, it's the skin is off of them because that's the really high component, uh, the, the high uh, uh, part of the fruit in the insoluble fibers. So you can peel the fruit, even cook it down so it's more tender and it can become more of, um, easy to digest. And then with the veggies, um, cooked green beans, like fork tender is what I tell patients. If you can cook um, your veggies to be fork tender, they're not crunchy and they're not too fibrous, um, that's what you want to focus on. It's just it becomes very challenging with the insoluble fiber. And so a carrot really well cooked that insoluble fiber is broken down and the soluble fiber that is in the carrot will work more closely with trying to absorb that fluid. It's just the heat really helps break down some of the components in with the insoluble fiber. Um, a good rule of thumb is to eat something that's high in soluble fiber. So a white bread, rice, pasta, um, you know, the inside of a potato along with what you're eating with that meal so that you can, you're having enough of the, both of the fibers to help with the digestion. I hope that answers your question. Excellent. Well, I want to thank our speakers. This has been a phenomenal call, actually, wonderful speakers. And I also want to thank all of our participants, both on the telephone as well as on, on asking us um, online questions as well, um, because your questions really enhance the call and allow our speakers to elaborate more on issues that are of concern to you. And so we hope that that's been helpful to you. Now, I know there are many more questions in queue, and so I do want to address that. Um, and so I want to particularly say that, uh, indeed, um, that, uh, for those of you on, on the call today, for those of you who got to ask a question, and those of you who have been listening as well and, and took away information, we want you to take that information back to your healthcare team. Indeed, we really want you to go ahead and ask your, um, your healthcare team any of the questions that you asked today because they actually have all the information about you, of course, than we have on the program today. So that's really important. And, um, but we also know that many of you 
Uh, so for some of you, this is a role play of asking questions of your healthcare team. And I think our speakers have been quite eloquent in reminding everyone that it is whatever whatever's, whatever's bothering you, say it. Tell your doctors whatever's on your mind. That's really important. Um, however, um, we we also do know that many of you like to do your own research a bit, look around a bit, see what you can find out. And so I would very much, of course, uh, we only would recommend that you go to very credible sites for information, like the National Cancer Institute. Um, and we will, at the end of this program, in about two days, you'll be getting an evaluation form. Now, we very much like your feedback of the program, but we also, of course, want to hear, um, you know, want, we'll provide you in that evaluation form any resource that we think would be helpful to you um, that was mentioned during the program and that also we think will be helpful to you in terms of doing your own research at very credible um, very credible um, re sites. That's really very important um, because the site has to be not only a credible, an NCI-designated cancer center site, but also needs to be or uh, one of our organizations that we work with that are listed in our programming, but also it needs to be a, a, a site that's checked quite regularly. So the information isn't like a year old. It has to be really right up to date with this month, really always up to date information you want to get. Um, I think our speakers have been quite, again, eloquent in, in reminding all of us that information is constantly being developed. And so you want to get the most up to date information. And for those of you who wish to pursue services from Cancer Care, um, please do contact us. Um, and you can contact Cancer Care at our 800 number, 1-800-813-4673, or go to our website, www.cancercare.org, and you can actually um, access one of our oncology social workers for any of your concerns, questions, or practical and financial assistance that you may have questions about. Now, most importantly, as we're about to conclude the program today, um, we really would not want any of you to feel alone. I, of course, it is very, of course, normal to feel alone, and particularly normal to feel alone today with social distancing, and, and it's more prominent in some parts of the country than other, of course, but nevertheless, it is a, a normal feeling. However, um, we do want you to know that there are resources out there for you, and when you are feeling alone, there are places you can call, and, it, and you can call your healthcare team, and you might want to find out what hours they're available so that when you have a question on weekends or evenings, who is there to address your questions, what you're supposed to do. And also, um, there are other organizations as well that can be a resource to you as well. So. Um, when you just tuck away in your mind that, in a, when you, that you do feel alone sometimes and that there are places you can call. And as a person living with cancer, there are many, many organizations out there that you can contact. And, they, um, and, and we will provide you with a list of the most ones that we work with and that we think are very credible. So with that being said, I want to thank you all for your participation today. I want to wish you all a very fine day, and thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.